Very recently, I decided to get back to doing something I hadn't done in a long time. Rock climbing. When we were kids, there was this big magnolia tree in front of our grandparents' house, and it became kind of our favorite place to play. You see, magnolias make great climbing trees. With their thick trunks and large branches, there's plenty of space to slowly make your way up. I only made it to the very top once or twice, but once I got up there, I could see the whole neighborhood. At least I thought I could. In hindsight, I probably could just see into the neighbor's yard. But I remember the feeling. It was quieter up there. I felt like I was in on some big secret that only high up tree climbers knew about. I got this same feeling decades later when I began to reach the top of a rock climbing wall. I was in college then and pushing fear out of the way for adventure was the name of the game. It was also something I could do together with my friends. And just a couple months ago, I decided it was time to try out the climb again. There's a pretty impressive local climbing gym here where I live in Los Angeles. And when I first got my hands on a rock hold, it all came back. Yes, the wall was different. The route had changed. I was older. I was even across the other side of the country, but the climb was still there. The fear, the sweaty palms, the determination to make it to the top. It all felt familiar, but this time it was a little harder. Yeah, I'll be turning 40 this year, so I'm not that college kid climbing the wall with his friends, or even that little boy climbing the giant tree in the front yard. I've done some changing. I've experienced life and seen some things. There's lots to fear. The climb, though, hasn't changed at all. It waits for me to conquer it. And I did. At that climbing gym, after a couple of false starts, a few falls, and a little strategy and determination, I finally did make it to the top of that wall. And there it was, that feeling again, being at the top of the world, seeing everything from a different perspective, that secret of the high climbers. So, some things change, and some stay the same. This is what I found out about life over these past several months. Change is inevitable. Change can be good. But I've also learned that the fabric that makes up all of us stays the same. Our curiosities, our love for things, for each other, what inspires us, what sustains us, opens us up to the world of possibility and gives us strength to keep climbing, keep living, doing the work to live our authentic lives and saying yes to life. I've talked to so many people since my last episode, and I know it's been a long time since I've dropped one, but I'm really excited to let you hear these conversations. I've got 10 new episodes for this season, 10 new conversations, and I can't wait for you to hear them. So here's a quick look at what's coming up in the next season of Just In Conversation. Stay tuned. I stepped out of the airport in Santiago and I had an overwhelming visceral reaction 
that I've never experienced before. And I was so caught off guard by it. I had never even imagined having this type of experience. But I stepped out of the airport and I instantly was overcome with emotion. And I burst into tears and I sobbed and sobbed Mm. and sobbed. And it took me a while to figure out what had caused that. And then I, I kind of figured it out. It was the smells that are unique to Chile that I hadn't smelled in years. Mm. It was the Andes mountain range in the distance that I grew up seeing out of our kitchen window every day growing up. It was the very distinctive Chilean Spanish I heard all around me, the public transportation coming and going that I took everywhere as a teenager. All of these things that were such a huge part of who I was, but that I had had to sort of set aside emotionally to assimilate into, you know, life back here in the United States when I was in college and starting a career. Try to be intentional about it, but be intentional about it so much so that it just becomes second nature. Um, and it it teaches you so much. I mean, but you're constantly learning. Um, I'm a big old softy now that I have a daughter. Mm. You know, like for the first year or two, it was like... I mean, commercials, I'm like pulling out the Kleenex, you know, it's like <laughs> everything. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I've always said, I just like, I just want to, I hope that I live a life that, uh, at the end of it, I'm remembered as a good man, whatever mm-hmm. that means yeah. to whatever, to whoever says it. Okay. Um, a good friend and just, just a good, um, yeah, to be remembered as a, a good person. I don't know if there was like a a particular moment. I just know that, you know, part of, you know, in hindsight, right. You know, I could say people will tell me all day, well, going to all those schools, that must've been hard or the trauma or the, the, you know, um, as I've gotten older, I'm like, man, what a kind of, what a gift every, every year, sometimes twice in a year, I'm the new kid and I got to go into a room and you got, it's, it's going to go one of two ways. Either they're going to love you or they're going to hate me. And sometimes they hated me and sometimes they loved me. I got better at, you know, just being new and walking up to strangers. I kind of learned that mm-hmm. um, the easiest way for me to have a, a social life at school was to accept those and become a part of those that were not accepted. You know, mm-hmm. misfits. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, I think it just kind of prepared me for the rest of my life. But when I was getting ready to go to college, USC, mm-hmm. um, I um, I didn't think I wanted to be a music major. So I was an English major. Hmm. And so that probably connects some dots, too. Yeah. And um, at the time, I lived in the do- a dorm that was actually an old hotel. And there was an older lady who lived in the penthouse at the top, and she had a grand piano. And I would go up there and play. And and she would, you know, she'd say, oh, darling, you really should consider doing music, you know. And I was like, oh, I don't really know. And so when I, one time I got my first paper back from English, and it looked like the guy had, you know, slid his wrist in the paper. <laughs> <laughs> I know that. I know that grade, yeah. And, um, and I was like, hmm, perhaps English isn't the best thing for me. <laughs> and so I very reluctantly agreed to come out and look at the property because it was just such a preposterous idea for us to move to 20 acres with an olive grove when we'd never sure. lived in the country. We didn't know anything, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, 
I mean, it was quite literally that moment when I first saw the olive grove. And, you know, there's a thing about um, olive trees that the, the underside of the leaves is kind of a silvery color. And so when it catches, when the wind blows, they kind of shimmer in the mm, silver. Wow. And, I mean, it is magical. It yeah. is. Uh, olive trees are some of the most amazing trees. Mm. And, uh, you know, when I saw that olive grove, I, I it was really at that moment that it was like, you know, and I mean, I often say that it's like somebody that you love stands you in front of something incredibly beautiful and says, let's make this ours. Mm, yeah. Of course I said, yes. I mean, that, you know, that is, that was truly the moment that I just realized, yes. I mean, you, sometimes you just say yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, we just began to hang out, hang out with each other, even though we were, you know, I was a senior and he was a freshman, you know, um, and it just, it, you know, he wanted to show me his music because he had lots of music that he had written. And he's very meticulous. I mean, the most incredible, meticulous handwriting mm. of music there was. And he, he was doing musicals and he was doing pop music and other kinds of things. And so I, I would play some things for him while he was singing. And, and we just became very, 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 very close friends very quickly. So musical partnership that turned into, into a, a romance. Into romance, yeah. Wow. The first time I fell in love with New York... <laughs> We went to this weird ass party in Brooklyn and all we knew was that it was a neon party. And so we go and we're dressed in these ridiculous outfits, neon everything. And it's at the $3 bill. And there's, and the people there were dressed, I thought we were dressed ridiculously. There were people dressed in the most ridiculous outfits. And we were kind of like, what the hell did we just like walk into? And then they had like black lights everywhere. So everybody's like really shining. And, but the DJ there was unbelievable. Like took us on a journey. And I just had this moment on the dance floor. And this is before we knew like, you know, the different variants of COVID. And I just felt like we were getting past COVID. And it was my first, our first big event with a bunch of people and we were vaccinated. and. I just cried on the dance floor. And I was like, I'm crying in a club in Brooklyn, like what? But I was just so overwhelmed with like gratitude. And that was my, that, I, that night will be the night that I fell in love with New York, for sure. You were queer. The bad words were all used then. Yeah. During the war, you didn't dare let yourself be known. If you met anybody who was gay, you, you ran away from them. I mean, you didn't dare allow yourself to be known to anybody because there are some people who do not understand that we too love. It was basically like I didn't have a chance to be myself, ever. Not even for one second. You know, I was three weeks, I was three weeks late being born and like the moment I burst onto the scene, he's my boy gonna be a cowboy buy him the boots and you know get a tiny little hat and tiny little western clothes and dress him up and put him on a horse and put a rope in his hand I never got to be a girl mm. there was no room there was no room for that so my childhood was spent being someone I wasn't but I really didn't know that. I didn't have any space to really figure that one out. And 
there came a moment where I wanted to reclaim what it what was my actual identity instead of this one that was manufactured and one that was like constructed by me like I constructed my identity around like safety and protection just trying to survive so I once I was safe got myself into a safe place I wanted to figure out what would I have been identity wise if I had realized I was female the entire time I had a job that summer in the Salt Lake City Rose Garden I'd worked for the Parks Department for a number of summers well, it's a pretty isolated job. You're out there sure. in the sun, pulling weeds yeah. out of rose beds and trimming them. And there was only one other worker and me and then the supervisor who would come by maybe once a day to check in with us. So it was just lots of time to think. Mm. And so finally... Uh, late July, something like that. It was like it was just hounding me uh, until finally I just said, "Okay, God, get off my back. I'll go and at least step in and see if that's where I'm supposed to be." So that's what drew me. I went to the seminary in Denver. I was ordained in 1973. I absolutely loved being a priest. And, uh, and I was really good at it. I had a great heart for being a priest. And, but as time went on, I knew I was gay. Finally, I, had, I said, I, I have to deal with this. Psychology, if you, can if you can really go deep inside yourself and really learn who you are, you understand um, how to say it, you understand that everybody, we're all in the same place, and it doesn't matter who's better. It, it, it's, it's, that's not the point. It's the contributions we make are, are sharing and understanding each other and helping each other. If, if I can help you, you can help me. To me, that is the answer. I mean, I don't know why we can't do it, but we don't. Or yeah. doesn't what we do very much of it. And, and we're in touch, even though we're not in touch all the time, we're, we're spiritually connected. And there's another aspect of spirituality. I don't know what that is, mm -hmm. but there's something that's a permanent connection, mm -hmm. spiritually deeper. I don't know where, what, where it is. I don't know where to touch it. I don't know how to find it, but I just know it's there. Yeah. If you enjoy listening to these conversations, I'd really appreciate you rating and writing a little review. It helps others find the show and who knows, maybe inspires better conversation. You can find more at justinconversation.com. And thank you for listening.